Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Sorry, Rush Nation, I just have to start this episode with a somber note. It's just come through on Sleeper. MVP Mitch is done. Nick Foles will start on Sunday. That was not a breaking alert, surely. Yep, I literally tell you, mate, it, it came up, well, half an hour ago whilst I was in the waiting room for you, but it did just break on my phone. Surely everyone knew that he was, when he was benched and Foles wins the game, surely everyone knows Foles starting next week. <laughs> Is that even a thing? I just, I, I just wanted to headline, you know. The most important news of the week. Mitch Mitch is done in the NFL. MVP I mean... Mitch is finished. Well, I don't know if he's done in the NFL. I'm sure he's got a backup job somewhere. I mean, to be fair, if Blake Bortles sucks, he could end up in Denver real quick. <laughs> oh, you got that other lad. Um, who was the one who finished the game yesterday? Uh, I have no idea. It's the one that no one could ever pronounce. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't even know that he came in. Yeah, but he played late in the fourth. Um, he actually looked pretty good on his drive. Um, and then he turned it over uh, at the end of the drive. But he, he, looked, he looked good. <laughs> to be fair, it's a, it's a great interception. But... That's like saying the guy crossed the road really well until he got to the fourth lane and was hit by a semi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I kind of meant it like that. But at the same point, it was a heck of a play that, that caused him to turn over the ball. Yeah, it, yeah, Brett Ripon or Ripien, or no one can ever know like how to pronounce his name. 
but yeah, he he came in. He actually finished the game um, eight of nine for fifty three yards, throwing a twenty two yard pass, and then yeah, he threw the interception to Anton Winfield. Why 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 did he come in? I didn't see the end. I haven't seen the. the... <laughs> I think because I think because Driscoll just took a heck of a beating. I mean, he got he got battered in the game, bless him. And I think the game was done. I mean, like there was no nothing to be gained. And I think Driscoll showed moments in the game, and I think they just went, look, let's probably pull him and let's just save him for next week. I don't <laughs> think it was a benching because of how late it was. I think it was a protection exercise because, to be honest. It was from a defensive perspective, the the Bucks D were just getting to him with ease. I mean, Shaq Barrett was probably in his face every every forty five seconds. Well, yeah, they'll do that to you, the Bucks D, when they're on fire. Yeah, but anyway, sorry, I ruined your whole intro. <laughs> no, I, it was good. You know, it doesn't it doesn't tend to roll off the tongue quite like that. Normally, it's just Tuesday and we're back. But hey, this was a. Uh... Off the cuff, and we're here. It's Tuesday. And we we had, are back. We had our first, and we had our first ever five-yard derby. We've not had one of those. What you and me? Yeah, we've never had a Broncos, and since oh. we've been doing the pod, no, we haven't. And it was an app. Well, for me, it was just, the season was destroyed before the game. It wasn't as if we got to see the full Tampa against the full Denver. No, yeah. which is a shame. But it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's just trying to save the season. It was yeah. very hard for the for the Broncos, especially second half. And you know, I, d- I don't even think the Bucks oh looked brilliant. They looked better. So here's a question for you, Murph. I literally sat down and watched some highlights this afternoon, well, literally twenty minutes ago, whilst I was waiting for you to jump on. And I watched the Buccaneers highlights. Um, mm-hmm. No, I didn't. I watched the NFL best plays of Week Three, and there was a couple of Tom Brady throws in there. Yeah. When he throws, I don't know whether this is just me, um, and I don't know now whether you're slightly biased because you are a jersey owner and he is your quarterback, but man, he looks like he has to give absolutely everything to every throw over 15 yards. I think a, a little bit of that. I think, don't get me wrong, I think it's much harder for him, but one, he still makes them. Do you know what really impresses me about Tom Brady? Maybe because I've not watched, I, I, I seem to be watching and rewatching and rewatching to try and. Like I, I don't wrong, I always know Tom Brady's a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> to to figure out like why he is as successful the way he is. And do you know what really impresses me about him over over anything else I've I've seen of Brady? And keep in mind this is week three of a new team with a new offense, is he somehow in about half a second has worked out all the matchups on the field for that play. And he always picks the best matchup. It's almost like Robocop, you know, when he's got that thing going through his, his visor and it shows where to bounce the bullet off and stuff. Honestly, I know a lot of people don't like Tom Brady, right? And I understand because of the winning and, you know, winning the six rings, the whole, you know, dominating the game and everything. But whether you do this now, whether you do this five years from now when he's retired, or I don't know, go back and look at how he analyzes the game. Because whenever he makes a throw, it is almost always to the best matchup like and i'll point this out because he got oj howard on a uh on a defensive lineman he got you know he was just picking out the the battles that he knew his guys would win and you know actually he did make a couple of plays or a couple of throws that weren't quite on the money but i'd say 98 percent of the time he was he was absolutely spot on and 
I think it was important for him not to not to turn the ball over this week, and he didn't. They're getting better. I want to quell the the. There were some people that came me, oh, this defense is is elite, and it. I think it is up there. Um, same way that people were coming to me going, you know, Tampa are going to run away with this now. They got going. Their last two games have been against Carolina, who are one of the worst defensive teams I've ever seen, and Denver, who are absolutely obliterated. This isn't the Denver of the start of the season. No quarterback, no star wide receiver, no no class edge rusher, missing some linebackers. You know, there's some real big pieces missing in this Denver team, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, joke. I expected us to win that game yesterday quite comfortably, and we did. But I don't also sit there and think, well, we were incredible. I thought we were good. I didn't think we were great. And I think that that's a game that we should win 99 times out of 100 if you want to do something in a season against a team decimated like that. Yeah. I think I think for Tampa as well, being good when perhaps people or being better than they were maybe expected to be at this point in the season just through natural gelling of a new team I, I just is don't good think... because everybody had... To, you know, everybody sensible had tempered expectations like yourself about Tampa. As soon as Brady went, everyone's thinking, oh, Super Bowl bound. And and obviously that wasn't necessarily the case with people who maybe are a bit more plugged in like yourself and, and some other analysts I know. But on the flip side, whilst maybe they're not elite yet, it does help that the Saints are struggling, the Falcons are struggling in in when perhaps we didn't think they were going to. And the, the Falcons, who knows what's going on over in Atlanta right now? Because they show both sides of their team every game in what can only be a punch and Judy I just, example. It's ridiculous. I just, listen, there are two men that at some point in the next week or two are going to lose their jobs and we shouldn't laugh at this. And they're going to be Dan Quinn and, and Adam Gaze, right? With Dan Quinn, you go through that defeat to the Cowboys in what is effectively a once in a generation experience. Although twice because of the way they lose the Super Stop Bowl. it. Right? No, 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 no. I'll make a point here. To then do that the next week, there's one thing to do it to the Cowboys. The Cowboys got elite talent. You should never lose a game by that many points uh, after leading by that many points. You know, the first they're the first team in history to lose back-to-back games in the NFL when having a 15-point or more lead in the fourth quarter. I mean, like, that that says it all. Hmm. When you When you have done that, and you've gone through that experience to have not corrected that for the next week in the next game, that tells you there is a massive underlying problem. And that's not just talent. There is a massive problem, culture, a character. And I've seen it because I can say this because I've seen this with the Buccaneers for the last 12 years. There is something missing. It's gone now. Like Dan Quinn has no chance of saving his job. Like he, he should have been fired last season. They pull off an improbable six and two run in the last eight games to make them a respectable team, but it's not good enough. You have to, at some point pay the piper and the whole coaching staff has to, has to go because Matt Ryan, you know, what they've got on offense is too good. They've spent too much money. They are in a serious cap situation where they, their cap situation points to them being in a win now. So when you're 0-3 and pretty much effectively out of the playoffs, given the division they're in, I just don't see a way back. I mean, they have to win out of the division. That's the only way yep. they can... I mean, the only thing that goes in their favour is they have not played a division rival yet. 
but uh, given on current standings, you can't see it. But no, that's the and, only and way. Also, the, playing division rivals, I wouldn't want to play Tampa in the form that they're finding. I wouldn't want to play the Saints currently because they've lost twice now, and that's a beast you don't really want to corner. Because let's face it, the, the the Saints roster is good enough all over the field that they shouldn't have lost. No, and. and Atlanta, as, as much as they're scoring points, they're leaking them as well. So, but, but you, you can stop that. I think the hardest thing is to score points in this league, and then the second thing is to stop them. I think for me, I it's just proof that Dan Quinn is a defensive coach. It just doesn't. He's had his time. Like I think it's it's time to move on from there. And and Adam Gaze, I'm sorry, Tom. I know you're listening, but this Jets team is. It's just, it's just bad. It's not just bad from a performance perspective. I mean, I think I, I wrote to the lads earlier, 37 points this season. They've scored 24 of them have come in effective garbage time to sort of pump up the stats. It's just the fact that the talent's not there. The, their best player this season has been Mackay Becton. He's now injured and has a shoulder injury and he could be missing time. I just, I just don't know where you go. You don't have, I can't evaluate Darnold. Their wide receiver core, Braxton Berrios, is the, the de facto wide receiver one because Crowder's out. And, okay, he catches a touchdown here and there, but it's Braxton Berrios. They're rolling Chris Hogan out, who no team has wanted since 2016. You've got that offensive line is awful. No one can run behind it. You're running Frank Gore behind it, who had 20-plus touches yesterday. Like, what's, go- like, what's going on? Like you got it just is i just don't know i mean you can't even blame the defense because the offensive just does nothing that the d's just just strangleholded and uh, i don't know i just think that the only that, i mean i expect the and this is the thing this is thursday night football this is you lot and the broncos versus versus the you know the jets and Realistically, I think if if the Broncos win Thursday Night Football, which I think you shouldn't, <laughs> but I, well, I think you shouldn't, based on the fact that you have so many players out. That if the Jets do not win on Thursday Night Football, Adam Gase has to leave there and then, within twenty four hours. He has to because they, you can't have an excuse. You can lose to the Forty ers in the manner that you did because they went to the Super Bowl last year. I don't think you can lose to the Colts in the manner you did yesterday, but all right, you can look at the Colts and say they're one of the best teams in in the NFL. Fine. I don't buy that, but sure. To lose to the wounded Broncos with no quarterback, hardly any running backs, no wide receivers. (laughs) Like if, if you lose to that team with the state of play that it is in, I don't think you've got anything left. I just don't think you have a bargaining chip. I think Adam, and I think the sooner you get rid of Adam Gaze, the the better it is for for everybody. And you move on, and and you see what you've got. You just play with who you've got in your roster, and you have to work towards bringing some talent. And I think for me, you've got to start shipping guys. You, you've got a great haul for Jamal Adams. I think you should start listening to offers for you know a, a few of your defensive players potentially. And it, it sucks, but what are you going to get out of this season? Nothing. No. Get some draft picks and rebuild. You're gonna have to. You have to blow it up. But the problem is, there's nothing to blow up. It's not like. No, that's the thing. It's not as if Atlanta get a new coach. They haven't got. If a new coach comes in and turns it around, they've got the pieces to make that thing work. Whereas, 
there, like you say, there is nothing to blow up in New York. There's a couple of paper bags you throw out, and that's about yeah, but, it. But normally, right, and, and let's, let's take Miami as the most recent example of a team that have blown it up and started again. Miami traded all their veterans, so they got all their veterans off the roster pretty much, minus a couple. Anyone that was worth anything went for picks, and they went and stockpiled a ton of picks. And then they, they rebuild. And they're in a rebuild mode this year, next year, whatever. It's going to take a couple of years. I can't see how the Jets can do that now that Jamal Adams has gone. And they got a great haul for Jamal Adams. Don't get me wrong. I think that was 100% the right thing to do. I think that worked for all parties. Um, one of those rare win- I think I said it at the time, but I think it's one of those rare win-wins that everybody wins out of that deal. I don't see who else you've got on that roster that is worth much in trading that you would trade because their better players are all young or injured. Mm. So I don't know. It's an interesting you, one with the it's Jets. It's very similar to the current Vikings defenses situation where Xavier Rhodes left, a couple of their other corners left. They drafted three fairly good corners. But as we've seen, you can't expect rookies to run a secondary at the next level because they've work. been absolutely torched. And as good as the Vikings were yesterday against the, the Tennessee Titans, they were exposed. Well, and it, if the Jets are going to do the same sort of thing with rookies next year, because they've got the picks from a few sales and Jamal Adams and stuff on either side of the ball, or even if you spread that across, you have too many rookies and, and the game just doesn't play itself. But it depends on the expectation levels. So the expectation level for me with the Jets going forward is you're aiming to make the playoffs in three years' time. You're not trying to do it this year or next year. Same with Miami. I don't think you you can speak to a Miami fan and go, oh, we expected to be in the playoffs this year because we had all those draft picks. They they knew full well this was a three-year build, and and that's fine. So you go this year, you bet everyone in, you go next year with more players, you bet all of them in, and then year three you kind of expect that you should be there or thereabouts for a playoff spot. And I think the Jets is the same. With Minnesota, they try to do what the Bucks are doing, which is a rebuild on the fly, but trying to integrate rookies. And as you said, you can't play rookies in the secondary exclusively. The Buccaneers tried this. It doesn't work um, because they do get torched. I think there's some positions you can come in and dominate as a rookie. Running back, I think wide receiver eventually, once you've learned the book and how to play and get up to speed, I I think they're, you know, I think you can master safety pretty quickly if you're good and you can get the coverages right and you can pick up signals and you're athletic and make plays. I think linebacker, you can get going pretty quickly as well. Corner, not a hope. Just not a hope. It's just not a hope you can do that because it's more than just tape and it's more than just skill and athleticism. It's just experience. Because these guys like Keenan Allen and OBJ and Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, these guys are elite. Like they just find a way to beat you. Things that they haven't put on tape because it's instinct then, it's experience. I know he's going to go here, so I'm going to go that way and beat him. Yep. And and we've seen it with Jeff Okuda because he was touted as a blue chip corner. Absolutely. And, all right, he's been a little banged up, but he's taken to the playbook slowly in Detroit, apparently, by... If you if you listen to sources and then yeah you got a pick yesterday but up until yesterday you've been absolutely destroyed by receivers and I think you come along and you learn you know the the weakest absolutely. area in Tam- in Tampa is the is the cornerback situation because you've got Carlton Davis who's a third year pro 
Jamal Dean and Sean Murphy Bunting, who are second year pros. You can learn it to a point that you can be efficient in year two, but year one is effectively all right. And you can have good games and good situations, but you're mostly being sent out there to, to, to get torched. And, and that's how you learn. You learn by getting beat. And you learn not to get beat that way again. That is, that is how, you're, <laughs> how you're judged. But anyway, I, I thought it was interesting. I thought the games yesterday were great. I think Josh Allen is as good a shout for anyone for the MVP. I think he, he has been terrific. Russell Wilson has been terrific. Green Bay Packers uh, look, look fantastic. You know, they look really, really good. Oh, everything they do. I mean, Aaron Rodgers looks back to near his best. Um, that passing game looks looks pretty good. I still question what they do a little bit on defense, but I think they're, a, they're as good as any team in the, in the NFC right now. It's, it's interesting with Green Bay, and one thing I took away from Green Bay and New Orleans this weekend was the fact that they've both lost their star receiver, um, and it doesn't show... It shows a lot more on the Saints side of the things than the Packers side of the things, and I wonder that's A, because just how much Drew Brees obviously relies on Michael Thomas in the passing game. And then secondly, just how much of a big FU Aaron Rodgers is throwing to the Green Bay Packers front office right now because they drafted Jordan Love, as we all know, in the first round. And then, holy moly, has Aaron Rodgers come out with some sort of vigor. And he's the opposite for me in Tom Brady's arm. Aaron Rodgers doesn't even really look like he's throwing the ball when he throws it further than it is from me to you right now. No, absolutely. I, I would say the biggest thing that nobody is talking about with the New Orleans Saints, right? And everyone's sitting here and there, and I think I, I said in the matchups pod that I surprisingly came to the defense of, of Drew Brees. Everyone's using ADOT and how he doesn't throw the ball very far. Like, he hasn't for three or four years. This isn't new. What is killing them is penalties. So it's something that is not being talked about by anybody, and I don't understand this, and I mentioned this on the matchups pod last week. So one Sunday... The Packers gave up two penalties for 10 yards. The New Orleans Saints gave up eight penalties for 83 yards. And that was their best, from a penalty perspective, performance on the season by a long way. So against the Buccaneers week one, they gave up in penalties. Six penalties for 119 yards. Against the Raiders, they gave up 10 penalties for 129 yards. I wonder if so there's a so they've given up over 300 yards of penalties in three games, yeah. and how nobody is talking about that as a as this is the reason they're losing games because the two games they've lost they've lost by a score. Yeah, I wonder if there's a correlatory I don't know if that's a word uh, a correlation between because essentially if you give over 100 yards right that's an entire scoring drive from one end of the field to the other, and if not even if you average that out over a game that's probably enough over an extra three yards to get you two field goals or something just by giving up penalties. So I wonder if there's a, a way of working out what the score would have been had they not given up so many penalties on yardage and where field position and stuff is. That's way beyond me and metrics and stuff. But yeah, that would be because uh, yeah. you said they've given up, uh, they've only lost by a score. So Yeah, they lost by a score on Sunday. They lost by 10 beforehand uh, against the Raiders. And they beat the Buccaneers despite giving away the most amount of penalties in yards. But the Bucks also beat themselves in that game by turning the ball over as easily as they did. But what you're doing there, if you are taking that many penalties and you're giving away that many yards, a lot of them have been on the defensive side of the ball. So they've been giving away points through uh, extending drives through pass interference. But every time you're giving away a penalty, you, you are flipping the advantage. And if you're going to lose the penalty battle by 
70 yards, 80 yards every week. It's as you say, you're giving away almost a football league distance to the opponent. So you're either hamstringing your offense or you're punishing your defense to the point well, you're basically hamstring your offense either way. Because if it's the defense giving it away, they're giving away the score, which means your offense is down. Drew Brees has to change the way that he plays. Drew Brees is not the quarterback you want coming from behind because of the way that he throws and the way that they play the game. They like to control the tempo of games. They like to control the pace of games. They like to stay ahead, run the ball, make short, high-percentage throws to keep drives going, and they want to kill you with six-minute, eight-minute, ten-minute drives. When they're behind and have to chase the game, they have to change the entire way that they play the game. And penalties aren't allowing them to do that. So then you're making Breeze do things that he doesn't want to do or the offense isn't designed to do. And then all of a sudden it gets more and more difficult. So it's just a strange one. I just think that it's weird for me listening to the amount of NFL content I do that nobody's picking up on the amount of penalty yards. That I mean... The, I think Football Outsiders, I referenced, did write this last week about their game against the Raiders exclusively. But once again, you can't be giving up 70, 80 yards of penalties extra to the opponent every week and expect to win football games. I think that, to me, just seems basic. It's definitely not something that is welcome for either side of the ball if your offense or defense is it. And, and when you think that if it is by a score and then they they suddenly find themselves in a hole loss-wise that the divisional games become even more concerning when they need to, like the Falcons, all right, the Falcons are 0-3 and a, they, the Saints did get the win over the Bucks, but 1-2 and is not great when, if the Bucks keep going forward and, yeah, tricky situation for New Orleans. Yeah, no, I think you clean up the penalties. I think the wins will start coming. I think that's a really simple point. If, I, if I'm going to be Sean Payton for a week which I really hope I never have to be <laughs> or you'd take his money for a week and just hide <laughs> I don't know if I would I just I just don't think I'd ever want to be associated with Sean Payton but I just think if you for me again and this goes back to coaching like this is the difference between good and great good teams get by even when they make mistakes great teams eradicate mistakes like that that's the difference there's getting by and then there's eradicating them and I, you know, for me, if I'm if I'm Sean Payton, I'm looking at these penalty numbers, thinking we just cannot give away that many penalties every week. Like we have to reduce that. And I don't know how you reward them. Maybe you take them out for cupcakes if they have less than fifty Cup- yards of penalties Cup- next week. I, I mean, I I don't know what you do in a post-COVID world to to incentivize people because they're already incentivized by money and they already get paid a lot of money. So what's the point of giving them a game check bonus of an extra grand if they? if they have less penalty. So why not try cupcakes? I mean, no. these guys like food. Yeah, you're right. Know. You're right. That, that strawberry jam cupcakes, what they want. That's exactly what they're after. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> An extra 10 minute break. I don't, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever is going to motivate them to stop turning, to stop giving away penalties. That is what needs to be done with the Saints. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hope they continue to do it because I like the fact the Bucks are in first place. <laughs> they have a game advantage. And if they want to keep giving away penalties, then I'm, I'm happy. Um, but I think that's a, a really big thing. You know, the same way that I would look at teams like the Falcons and go, we cannot keep giving away 15-point-plus leads. <laughs> Said no one ever until just the like, Falcons we did just it. Can't, we just can't keep doing it. Like, you've got to just coach these guys. With the Jets, the message is simple this week. We've got to score more points. We've got to get on the board earlier. With the Giants, and we'll get to the Giants later, um, we've got to learn how to run the football because we, <laughs> we don't know how to do it. 
Like we just simply do not know how to run the football, whether it's Barkley there or not Barkley there. Like we just don't know how to run it. Um, but yeah, I think it, week three was was good. Um, someone used an analogy. I think it was the around the NFL guys used the analogy of it was like uh, the parents had gone away and let everybody sort of run away because the two quote unquote best teams in the league play tonight on Monday. Well, we haven't. This is going out Tuesday, but spoiler: we record on a Monday. Um, for Monday Night Football. Also, Wait. interesting fact. You're... Just thought I'd drop this on you. This is our 250th episode. 0.25 of a K. Yeah. Wow, this... so well, congratulations. Yeah, thank you, Happy, mate. Uh, what do they call it? What do they call it in the game? Not Game of Thrones. In the Hunger Games, the quarter quill. That's 25. Yeah. We're a quarter quill of the way to the the 1,000th. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that ends badly. Well, there's a different analogy out there anyway. I love Just, it. I want to... Uh, Put a full stop in this Jets Broncos chat, Murph. The Broncos are currently three point favourites on Skybet. <laughs> the Broncos are. Yeah. I don't think I'd be touching that game with a ten foot barge pole. I can understand why you're favourites. It's also uh, the over under is forty points, so they're not expecting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's low. I think the lowest I've seen this season is forty, forty one, forty two. I don't, I don't know. I think I'd be tempted to take the under in that. Oh, I'm I'm all over the under. And there's not they're joint odds as well. Vegas literally have no idea where to go with this. They're both 10 to 11. <laughs> it's just a complete shot in the dark. Interesting. I don't know how you would... I uh, don't know where you'd want to go with that. I, I, I was saying to some people uh, earlier that I'm almost thankful that this is a Thursday night football game because this is one game I won't be staying up for. <laughs> I think I think I'll catch it on Game Pass in the morning. <laughs> I don't know if you should bother. Well, um, no, I, I like to. Good thing about Game Pass is I'm starting to watch like every game, so I'm starting to get through and watch all the games as, as much as I can. I've got a backlog, but I do try and watch. <laughs> I've got a 37 game backlog, but I'll no, get it's, there. It's it's not too bad. I finally caught up with all the week two, and I've watched a few games of week three, so I've got a little bit to go, but. It's fine because um, I like it's. It's just I, I don't know, I just enjoy it so much. Well, what's not to enjoy? The NFL's back, baby. Amen. Talking about something not to enjoy, let's do some injury news because again, it's the NFL, and there seems to be more than ever. Let's fly through these because we got a lot. It's not as many as it was last week, but I've tried to keep it mostly to fancy relevant players. Okay, there's a couple in here I've never heard of, so I'll let you take the lead on that. Seattle Seahawks running back Chris Carson did not return after suffering a sprained knee, and uh, that was in the fourth quarter, and I've seen updates today, Murph, since you've written this, that it's just a strain, and he might even play against Miami? Yeah, I wouldn't play him against Miami either way, given that, no disrespect, uh, <laughs> that it is only Miami, but I would, you know, you got Carlos Hyde there, and I put Carlos Hyde as the a waiver feature this week. Um, I would still pick him up, but um, it's something to perhaps be more optimistic for you Carson owners out there. Philadelphia Eagles tight end Dallas Goddard suffered an ankle injury in the first quarter and did not return against the Bengals. He's expected to miss some time and will have an MRI to determine the full extent of his injury. That's from Rappaport. And wide receiver Djax was also ruled out with hamstring and ankle injuries, respectively. So I think... Yeah, ridiculous that Djax keeps getting injured, and I don't know what his life like is is like in the NFL, but it's not going to be much longer, I don't think. Um, yeah, Goddard is a shame because I think he was coming through as the tight end one in uh, in Philly. Um, there seems to be some problems with Zach Ertz and his contract, and arguments with the owner, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, 
it's a shame, but he'll come back stronger either way. Yeah, San Francisco 49ers, tight end, Jordan Reed, knee, ankle, back, helmet, fingernail, and age. He exited in the second half against the Giants, did not return. We will always have week two of 2020 of the NFL season where Jordan Reed scored two touchdowns. Good times. Oh, yeah, good times. Falcons wide receiver Russell Gage did not return against the Bears after sustaining a head injury. Haven't seen anything about that. Concussion, I think. Good news. I, I lost. So I had a lot of Deontay Johnson and Russell Gage in lineups. I've somehow crawled to a, more victories than I probably deserved. You and me both, brother. <laughs> this week. But a lot, I had a lot of them in my lineups, and they both went down within about ten minutes of each other. And I was just like, "Oh God, no more!" Oh, and there's a guy on Twitter, bless him, um, who asked me about Juju or Deontay Johnson. I said, "Well, Deontay Johnson's got more targets," and he he changed his mind, and uh, uh, yeah, and he he took Juju out of his lineup for Deontay Johnson, and I was like, "Oh, I feel so bad." <laughs> I did say to him, don't do it. I just explained that I had Deontay Johnson as one I'd liked more um, because of the target volume. And But hey. Hey, these things, things happen. happen. Exactly. You can only point in the right direction. We can't see the future. Otherwise, uh, you and I would both be on a big yacht somewhere doing this in more warmer con- conditions. Speak for yourself. I've got a timeshare on Jerry's yacht that I'm going to borrow. Well, you should probably <laughs> get out there, my friend. Pittsburgh, talking of Deontay Johnson, Steelers wide out did not return against the Texans after being evaluated for possible concussion. Sad times in Pittsburgh there because he's been pretty good, like you said, Murph, more targets and stuff than Juju. Raiders wide receiver Brian Edwards exited with an ankle and wide receiver Rico Gafford. That's a name I'm not aware of. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think he came in for Edwards and I think he also got banged up. But Brian Edwards, we talked about this with with Ethan Turner, that is a guy who just always gets banged up. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, they both left against, left against the Patriots. This one absolutely killed me in the Vampire League. Buffalo Bills wide receiver John Brown calf exited early against the Rams and did not return. That hurt me in several places. That was he looked good as well going into this week, John Brown. Yeah, in, in a game where the Buffalo Bills ran riot in the first half on the Rams. Chicago Bears running back Tariq Cohen exited early against the Falcons. Rappaport has reported the team fears Cohen has torn his ACL, which coach Matt Nagy has confirmed. Cohen is scheduled to have an MRI to confirm whether he suffered a season-long injury ending injury. Very, very uh, sad times that that's happened. It's, it's good, though, for David Montgomery owners because Cohen hasn't really been that fantasy relevant so far. Well, they're different sort of backs, but I mean, Tariq Cohen is... This is a hard thing to say, given that he's got injured, but he has been sort of nicking a living in the NFL a little bit, given that he's probably one of the highest paid running backs who just doesn't do anything. Like, he just doesn't do anything. He's just not... Every year I get hyped for Tariq Cohen. He just doesn't ever produce. And I've given up thinking, when is he ever going to produce? Well, at least I suppose if he is one of the richer running backs nicking a living, he's got somewhere to lay down comfy while his ACL... He's doing okay. Yeah. Colts wide receiver Michael Pittman Jr. exited early against the Jets with an ankle injury. Bad one. Haven't seen that yet. Uh, I don't think it's too bad. But then the last time I said that, um, I think I called Michael Thomas's ankle injury a bruise and uh, he's still out. So yeah, uh, I'm going to refrain from comment. <laughs> oh, okay. 
Fire the cannons, Murph. Tampa Bay Buccaneers wideout Chris Godwin suffered a hamstring injury in the third quarter and did not return against the Broncos. Ping. Just a hamstring snapped and Tampa Bay Buccaneers wideouts is just two things that always go together. Well, hey, you got Scotty Miller, right? Yeah, until he does his hamstring. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it, Scotty. Uh, Jets offensive tackle Mickey Becton did not return against the Colts as we mentioned after suffering a shoulder injury hopefully that's not for a long time because he's a bright I'm a big spot. fan of Mackay Becton massive fan I thought he was great in the testing I think I took him in the mock draft to, to Tampa and, and the Jets took him before uh, before he got to us and we got Tristan Wirfs and I'm happy with how that panned out but he's been the only bright spot on a pretty bad uh, Jets offensive team and then finally, Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver Mike Williams exited early against the Panthers with a hamstring injury. We should put Mike Williams in bracket Q next to him because he's always questionable for games. <laughs> yeah, and he, it's always hamstrings, man. It's always, always hamstrings, hamstrings, always hamstrings, but yeah. And then in other news, Cowboys Alden Smith leads the NFL in sacks after three games. This oh. might this wouldn't normally make news, um, but given that he, before this season he hadn't played fo- a down of football since 2015, when the Cowboys signed him off the street, um, and then to make things more interesting, that he got three sacks on Sunday, and so he currently leads the NFL with four sacks. T.J. Watt and Akeem Hicks have three and a half. So just behind um, Smith's three sacks were the first time he earned three or more QB takedowns since week 11, 2012, the seven year and 312 day between three sack performances mark only the sixth longest stretch between such games since 1982. That's per NFL research. The sixth. You mean there's five more? <laughs> yeah. uh, that's what made me laugh about that. So, yeah. I yeah, wonder I mean, how long number one is. Also, I just think it's impressive that you can just sort of take five years off and then just come back and be just as good, if not better, than you were. That's, <laughs> that's exactly a, that's a that's great what, model for success. That's what JJ Watt needs to do. He's had a great start to his career. Rest up a few years, JJ, and come back. Another the sports changed a little bit more in your favor and register another three sack game. He he's going to do that. He'll do just fine. He's Hall trying to get his hundredth sack, isn't he? Did he get it this weekend? I don't think he did. Ah. Uh, Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Montana. I don't understand this one, Murph. Do this one for me. So Joe Montana and his wife blocked an attempted kidnapping of their grandchild uh, at the weekend. So what happened was they were looking after their grandchild and their grandchild was sleeping in the playpen and a unknown woman entered the house and grabbed the child. And it was actually Montana's wife, Jennifer, who confronted the woman and then basically wrestled the child out of this unknown woman's hand or arms that is truly frightening yeah what? like what? madness like did was the lady apprehended yeah she's been arrested oh good that like that is as a as fathers of young boys that is terrifying yeah i mean really mental um the kid was nine uh, nine month old, sorry. I was going to say nine. That's, yeah, no, that's a big kid to wrestle out of the house. Yeah, nine nine months old, sorry. Oh, poor thing. Yeah, really sad. 
Russell Wilson, on another note, sets an NFL touchdown record to lead the Seahawks past the Cowboys' two back-to-back five-touchdown games. Seattle, when they said they were going to let Russ cook, weren't joking. They threw Delia Smith's cookbook right at him and said, go ahead, son. Uh, yeah, so they, so Russell Wilson has now thrown 14 touchdowns in the first three games, which beats Patrick Mahomes' record of 13 from 2018. Um, he's also the first player in NFL history to throw four or more touchdowns in each of his team's first three games. And whenever, so I think the fantasy footballers or Andy Holloway did um, like a wheel of fortune. Uh, it's like fill in the blank and it was let R space SS cook. And I reply back with a meme of Ross from friends going my sandwich. <laughs> That's the kind of warped humor I have um, just because I thought it was funny. That's but, a good one. Yeah, I, I thought it was all right. So, yeah, so Russell Wilson is cooking. Um, I don't know why he's cooking. Like, why is it let Russ cook? Like, I don't even know where that came from. Yeah, I have no idea where that's come from. But apparently this is like a new thing and T-shirts are going to get made and I'm probably not going to buy one. Um, but, yeah, good, good good luck to him. I think uh, that's a, a pretty fine start to the season. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think no, there's been a few times he's done something similar along the way over the last few years, and then he's sort of tailed off towards the middle and second half of fantasy. So maybe maybe that happens again. But anyway, and then finally, in other news, that tab right at the end of Sky News that no one ever ventures into, Titans why, kicker. This is the best story of the week, hands down. By the way, that's why it's yeah, hands down. That was the wrong thing. We're talking about a kicker here. You should have said something foot related. But anyway, Titans kicker Stephen Gostkowski credits going sockless. For change in fortunes that's right so let's let's get this right he missed three field goals and a point after attempt in week one he missed a, a point after oh he missed an extra point in week two and then on sunday he decided that he was going to go out there and kick his field goals and kicks um without his socks and he kicked uh he kicked six field goals I believe this is and the three extra points. Yeah, he, kicked six, of... <laughs> he kicked six field goals and three extra points on Sunday. You can't and... tell me that one of the most prolific New England kickers since Adam Vinatieri, who almost made absolutely everything in Foxborough, suddenly decides to take his socks off and gets back to the way he was when he wore socks all that time ago. I'm so glad that you asked me this because I have a quote from Goskowski himself to explain this. I practice all summer without socks. It's a little like baseball. When you're in a slump, you want to try something else and you get on a roll. I think my experience playing multiple sports kind of helps deal with a bit, a, a little bit of a bind. In a sport like baseball, you strike out or get embarrassed, you turn a page. We're only three games in and I've got a long way to go and I've got a lot of work to do, but I'm excited to help the Titans be 3-0. and He kicked his field goals from 30, 31, 39, 51, 54 and 55. Um, and he's the first player to make three plus field goals of 50 plus yards in a game since Justin Tucker did it in week 12 of 2016. But I don't so there you go. Yeah, but when you can't co- do your job properly, take your socks off. There's no way I'm running around in work boots with socks off. That's horrendous. And and anyway, just because he played multi sports, he didn't mention how any of the multi sports stuff has helped him kicking this weekend by taking his socks off. It's not as if he's in baseball. I know what I'll do. I'll get a bigger glove or a bigger bat. Or, I don't know, swing left-handed or something. He's just said, I played baseball and I took my socks off. Well done, Stephen. Well done. Wow. All we know is that from now on, he is going to be known as the Sockless Ghost. Yeah. I think he should be called Stephen Lost Socksquee or something. 
You failed that miserably. Well, it's difficult. It's not a last name you can really rhyme with anything, is it? Goskowski. <laughs> I mean, man, this story has me riled up. <laughs> that was the point. If I was Nailed on Twitter, it. I would be tweeting this Stephen G fella and be like, yo, socks are not the answer. Well, clearly they're not. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what he's saying. They're not the answer. Don't wear no, it. You know what I mean. Not wearing socks is not. It was, he must have been one of the highest scoring kickers in fantasy with three over 50 yarders. Yeah, he was the 14th overall player scoring in fantasy this week. Which leads us perfectly, Murph, into fantasy takeaways for week two. One of which, your number five, we might as well go straight into it, is about DSTs and kickers. Yeah, so listen, I lost a game this week in my work lead two to a kicker. Um, so I had a 13-point lead going into Sunday Night Football. He had uh, Mason Crosby left. Mason Crosby kicked 16 points and won him a game. And this ties in nicely that the Colts defense finished as the 10th overall scorer in fantasy football this week in half point PPR. Uh, Goskowski finished as the 14th overall player in scoring. And there were other kickers up there just below him as well. And people were going to see this and they're going to all of a sudden panic and start buying kickers and defenses. And like, I've got to have two of each of these on your bench. Don't <laughs> just don't. These things are complete fluke. There's just nothing to it. Goskowski is never going to kick another game like this in his career. You can take my word for it. It's not going to happen. Just do not tilt. Do not worry about having extra D's, extra kickers, just play the game as you normally would. Stockpile with talent on your bench. You will do better. You will prevail. Let these little hiccups just roll off like a duck to water. It'll be fine. That's good news. I'm pretty sure I, there's a team I own that's got three DSTs in it at the moment. I'm not sure why. I saw it the other day. Uh, the only reason I have a league where I have three DSTs, and the only reason I do is because DSTs outscore uh, kickers. Yeah, no, um, Not kickers, quarterbacks. DSTs outscore, yeah. DSTs outscore quarterbacks in this one league, and so therefore I have three on a rotation because I lined up their matchups, so that I always have like a pinnacle, like top three, top four matchup every week for the rest of the season. That makes sense. Murph, I have some breaking news. Bears officially moved to Cohen torn ACL to the IR. Wow, the Bears are killing it with breaking news today. First of all, they announced that Foles is going to start on Sunday when everybody in the world knew that. And then now they've put Tariq Cohen on IR when everyone knew he had an ACL. I mean, what next? Matt Nagy's going to say something obvious? Oh, wait. I'm just saying. I know. We'll bring back Matt Nagy's obvious corner next week. I'm not sure we need to. I think we're doing a fine (laughs) job for that. They really are. Right. I'm going to give my first takeaway this week, and it, it breaks my heart a little bit. But uh, AJ Green is pretty much dead to me. I'm giving him one game and then I'm going to bench him. If he goes off, I'm going to try and sell him for pretty much anything I can get my hands on because he's playing the Jags. And then after that, the schedule is god awful. I don't have it in front of me because my page has just crashed. But I know that the Bengals schedule after playing the Jags is pretty horrendous. And my love for AJ Green means he gets just one more go. Otherwise, you can bench him, guys. I'm fully on board with you benching him this week, Murph. Don't say anything. I'm going to move on. I'm sorry. Yeah, and... There's nothing more I can say. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, I'm just going to go with I told you so and told you not to draft him. No, you can't say you told me so because you told me so last year. And I was right then. And I rolled over. (laughs) Yeah, just AJ Green is just not the guy to to own anymore. I I mentioned this in the matchups pod. 
that you couldn't even start him this week um, because of how many drops. And uh, he, he caught, I think, eight from 18 <laughs> coming into this week. Um, so, yeah. Um, and he only, he only got another three this week, and then he got three in overtime. So they don't really count. By the way, if you ever want to watch how not to win a game in overtime, go watch the Eagles on that final drive. Absolutely horrific. I read something. <laughs> I read something about how both teams could have had three field goal attempts from sixty-three yards. Ah, uh, this is amazing. It would have basically stayed a penalty shootout at that point for three plays. No. So what? What happened was, so the Eagles. First of all, they got enamoured with that. You know that um, field goal line that is like put on the field. Yeah. So rather than like going for a play that would take them past that the Eagles were just trying so desperately just to try and get to that line. <laughs> and they'd be running like little half-yard, one-yard runs. And he just like, just throw the ball. Go for it. Try and do something different. And they were literally just like trying to just get to that line. And then they finally get there or thereabouts. And then they're about, they've set up Jake Elliott to kick from 59. So 59, 19 seconds left to win the game. And one of their offensive linemen strays offside. <laughs> oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> so then so then it goes to 64 and then they're like nah we're not going to go with this so we're going to punt it <laughs> so rather than try it from 64 which i appreciate is a really long shot and then it does give the the bengals 19 seconds to try and win the game um they just decided to punt it therefore deciding to effectively get anything to just take a tie at best and then the bengals only have to go, because the punt's not that good, only have to go about 20, maybe 30 yards to put themselves in range, and they got 19 seconds to do it, and instead they decide that they're just going to take the tie. <laughs> like, what are we doing? What a I way just... to win a game, guys. Oh, it's a tie game. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, no one wants to win. Oh, just awful. I was just like, I just like, go watch that on Game Pass or um, it just Hilarious. I, I was dying inside how bad that was. <laughs> so yeah, other takeaway for me was um this is gonna sound really obvious. Here comes Matt Nagy. But I'm gonna justify in either way. So Chan um I put Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both startable every week um in your fantasy team ups for the for the Browns. And that that sounds really obvious and I and I massively appreciate it. Um but the one thing I would say about it is that they're just so good. Like they just designed, they're going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball a lot. Um, Chubb looks great on the ground. Uh, Hunt is equally as involved in getting into the end zone. Um, I just think they're both excellent fantasy assets to, to own. And both of them are going to be very, very relevant in, in the coming weeks. And, and the reason I say that is I'm just looking up their team stats. Um, so this year they have, do, 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 do. 511 rushing yards there 529 passing yards um in rushing they ran 99 99 rushing plays at an average of 5.2 yards per attempt they've <laughs> they've only thrown the ball 85 times in comparison um with 53 completions with an average of 6.6 yards that's pretty good so they're running the ball more they're getting almost as many yards rushing as they are passing. You know, it's like 48% of their total offensive yardage is coming from rushing. So it's a huge amount. Um, but they're actually rushing the ball. It's like 1.2 to, to 1. You know, they're, they're good things to, to keep an eye on and why I'd invest in both. Absolutely. 
I like it. I don't think I've got too many of shares of Chubb. I've got a few of Kareem Hunt, but I don't own too much Chubb. Well, you can never have enough Chubb. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, my second one, coming back from 0-3, I think is easier this season than ever because of how close the games are in real-life NFL. I think there's fantasy points to be had all over the place, and this ties in sort of with your next one, Murph, and how strange things are currently, and the fact that I think if we, if you can... I don't think 0-3 is as bad this year as maybe perhaps years gone, where because we haven't had a preseason, things are still ironing themselves out, and it would be, it would be easier this year to get back to 3-3 three and three than previous years gone. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, I would say that actually it's it's a strange one. I think that with regards to 0-3, most years I think you'd be sort of really be like, yeah, as you're saying, finding it really, really difficult. Um, but I, it depends how your team is now structured. It's just there's there's still the sort of the preseason kinks to be coming out. There's still things to be um, worked out. And I, I just think that, you can come back from moment three if you do the right things. Um, so that's not panicking, not tilting, not just making silly start sick decisions. You know, I saw some crazy suggestions that people would drop Robert Woods yesterday for all sorts of a number of players based on Tredavious White being his cover. And I'm sitting there thinking like, I understand this, that Tredavious White is a great cornerback, but, Robert Woods is a great wide receiver. Wide receivers, great wide receivers will make great plays. And he's not going to be on cover the whole time. Like, I, I know you do the lockdown, and, and a lot of that's really useful when making a start to sit decision between two players of, like, an equal stature. So if you were comparing Woods to Cup, for example, you, you owned them both and you were trying to make that decision, or you were going with Woods and, say... Juju Smith-Schuster or something like that. And I, that would be your good tiebreaker. But I saw people wanting to, to drop Robert Woods in exchange for like Hunter Renfro and stuff like that. I was just like, why? <laughs> no, just don't, don't get silly with it. Like but there's so much data available. That's also, should... that's also having a, and this is going to sound bad, but a poor understanding of how Tredavious White operates as a corner. Yeah. He's one of the best corners in the league. But the way the Rams operate as an offense means that Tredavious White isn't going to shadow one of the wide receivers because they move all over the field. And lo and behold, both Rams receivers had a day yesterday against the Ra- against Tredavious White because he's not got an individual to target as if he was perhaps against the Julio or Devontae and he would shadow them around the field. And then you get into this, the thing where you're never really truly going to sit your wide receiver one in Adams or Julio. You're just... I would at that point then say they're facing Tredavious White in what could be a bit of a matchup where perhaps temper your expectations on points. I'm never going to tell you to bench. Exactly. And don't think too, like you said, don't think too much about it because there's way too many more stats out there for you to go and get a better interpretation of it. Yeah, I, I just think people are going to be owing three and really chase upside. There's chasing upside and then there's just shooting yourself in the foot. Dropping elite players for fringe players who might break out for one game it's just not the way to do it you you should be looking at advantages so i give you an example um you know a common one yesterday was um benching someone like uh devin singletree for someone like uh 
there was a couple. One was T. Higgins. Another one was Russell Gage. And I was like, yeah, we definitely want to go with, with Russell Gage, given the matchup. Okay, that wouldn't have panned out. But you knew that Singletree was going to give you probably 10 points, give or take, and, you know, that sort of realm. And that's pretty much what he delivered. And then Russell Gage could have delivered you a 20-point week. So when you're, like, thinking about those sorts of things, I kind of get it a lot more between players with capped upside versus players with potential to really break out. Um, But, yeah, some of them are just crazy. I've got some breaking news, by the way, and you're really not going to like this. Oh, good. Fire away. Oh, and this is going to be receiver-based, isn't it? No, it's worse. Broncos defensive lineman Jarrell Casey is out for the year with a torn bicep. Oh, just bench Nick Chubb. Get him off the pitch. Don't risk him. Nick Chubb? Oh, no. The other Chubb. Bradley? Bradley. Poor Bradley. I, got his, I even got his name wrong. <laughs> just, yeah. just sit him for the rest of the season. Don't bother. Uh, yeah, torn bicep. That sounds painful. It sure does. It sure does. Every time I hear torn bicep, I just think of a chicken wing. And when you when you get the chicken out between the bones of the little wings on a chick, that's just what I. That's how I think of a torn bicep. And I'm thinking, yeah, no, no, that's bad news, man. Bad news. I am sorry. That's fine. I mean, I, I appreciate you bringing it live on the pod, so I don't. I mean, people can't hear me cry, but whatever. That's fine. Oh, Murph, would you do your next one, please? I'm I'm reeling. Um. So my next one. So, uh, just fade the Giants' backfield altogether. Uh, people excited about Devonta Freeman um, and uh, Dion Lewis and Wayne Gorman, um, but just fade the Giants' backfield full stop. They're just not going to deliver you that upside performance that you would like or expect. Um, so, the Giants in the first three games have been rushing the ball 30% of the time. Um, and they average 3.2 yards a carry. However, when you take out um, their leading rusher of the season, which is Daniel Jones, um, and you take out Sterling Shepard's one attempt for six yards, the Giants running backs have actually attempted 40 rushing plays this season for just 72 yards, which is 1.8 yards a carry. So that Giants O-line is just terrible. And they're just not creating holes and separation. Barkley didn't look good before he got hurt. <clears throat> no one's going to look particularly great afterwards uh, of getting that that space. And listen, that number will go up, but it's not going to be what you expect. And when they're only rushing the ball 30% of the time, I like to think three day, three games is a good enough of a sample size to really understand like the breakdown of how a team's going to go. This team's just going to sling it yeah. 70% of the time. So, yeah, I don't like one 30% of the time. Um, two, I don't like uh, for 40 attempts, they've gone for 72 yards. Um, I just don't think this team is designed to really pound the rock. And um, so if you bought any pieces of that backfield by week cover, sure. Just don't expect anything spectacular out of it. They're not going to save your season. I held on to Devonta Freeman in, in our home dynasty league, hoping he went somewhere. And I'm just going to straight up drop in because he's now completely irrelevant. It's just pointless having him. Absolutely pointless having him. Yeah, absolutely. Talking of backfields, I'm moving on to my next point, and that is the fact that Kyler Murray's legs and Chase Edmonds' targets have pretty much destroyed Kenyon Drake's upside. Did you know that Kyler Murray has more than half of Kenyon Drake's rushing attempts, has four TDs to Kenyon Drake's one, has almost double the yards per attempt, and has nine yards per game less than Kenyon Drake? And then targets and receptions, Chase Edmonds has double the targets 
and nearly double the receptions that Kenyon Drake does with a TD. So Drake's not even getting the goal line work. Murray's running it in and they're throwing the ball to Chase Edmonds. I'm going to, I'm going to bite back a little bit there. That's fine. I expected it. When you look at the Murray's touchdowns, most of them have been in that 20, 25 yard range where he's got away and he's made this miraculous play Agreed. where he's like broken ankles. Um, almost what Lamar Jackson was doing last year. Um, and we saw this. Lamar Jackson was eating into, you say eating into Mel, you know, Mark Ingram's totals. But actually, it didn't because Mark Ingram still was a very healthy fantasy football running back. And I think mm. Kenyon Drake will be too. Um, they just, at the moment, I would say what's really hindering Kenyon Drake is is the, the game script they're, they're finding themselves in. When Kenyon Drake is in a a matchup that requires him to, you know, where they're, they're quite a bit ahead, like Arizona have been, then his usage is massively going to, it's going to be weighted. Like he needs to be in a game script where he they're winning, but they're not winning by a lot um, or they're trading, but trading slightly. And they've not really been in that. They kind of dominated games, um, you know, against Washington. They were so far up. They don't want to use that. So Chase Edmonds was getting a lot more work. So I, I think there are better days ahead for Kenyon Drake. But yeah. it is a slight concern to watch. Nuke, Nuke's targets have not helped him either, have they? Where perhaps they ran it in from short distances, whereas Nuke now is getting targets all over the field. So that's not going to, I don't think, yeah, like you say, one to watch. Yeah. Where are you going next, big man? Um, so my last one is that a lot of people are really excited about the Steelers and um, especially the wide receivers. They've, they've done a pretty good job this year and been relevant far more than they were last season. But um, Big Ben is not a player that you should be targeting with huge upside potential. This team is so far off the pace of what they were doing in 2018 offensively that it's time to just kind of accept what Big Ben is now, which is a, a top 15 uh, quarterback, as opposed to like a top three quarterback slinging it for 5,000 yards. And um, the reason I say that is just looking at, you know, he threw for 5,000 yards in, in 2018, and they're absolutely nowhere near that sort of pace. Um, you know, they're running a high number of plays. They've run already 204 plays uh, this year, but 90 of them have been rushing. So it's it's a balance of like 55, 45, give or, give or take. Ben's yard per average is actually lower than his opponents. It's only around about 7, 7.1. So... You know, he's, he's got 700 passing yards through three games. And that's kind of where you would expect him to be now, um, coming off the surgeries he's had, that he's going to be good for sort of that 260 to maybe 300. He's just not going to have those games where he's slinging it for 450, 400 yards. They run the ball more. They're smarter with the way that they 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 play now. They, they have a, a, a few running backs they can kind of rely on. So just... People are getting excited about Juju and Gionta Johnson, and absolutely they should do. I'm just saying temper the expectations on Ben. He's a top 15 quarterback, no more than that. That leads me nicely on to my second to last, in that the fact that the Texans are the team to target when looking at running back matchups. And James Connor of the said Steelers Murph looked like a bell cow at the weekend, 22 touches and 25 fantasy points. And the Texans have given up the most yards in the league to running backs. So there you go. As Murph said, running the ball a little bit more than we thought they would. And they do have a stable of running backs now that can all get on the field. And then finally, my last point is personal. And that is that. No, it is personal. But I found that watching Red Zone or highlights is more important than ever 
so you can see how players are performing and you're not just reading the box scores. And that's because I didn't manage to watch too much red zone or highlights yet from this week. And I found catching up on fantasy more difficult this week than previous weeks. because I haven't watched as much football or highlights. So it is super important, especially in how messed up the beginning of the season is for me to watch as much football as possible, because I think it will give you more insight into the players you're starting, not just what the stats say in the pages you're reading. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Right, Murph. We, we, we teased this last week. Uh, we're going to go. We, we're over an hour, so let's just burn it. Let's do it again. Here we go. We're burying teams' playoffs hopes. Each week, starting this week, we're going to bury some teams who don't have any playoff hopes. Can we bury anyone this week? There are currently six teams who are naught and three. Oh, and three. Naught. How British. Uh, oh, and three. The Jets, the Giants, the Vikings, the Texans, the Broncos, and the Falcons. I think we can bury four. Four? Yeah. Okay. I think, in theory, we could probably. You took me out of them. I think the two New York teams are done. Yeah, no, that's fine. Move on. I think they're easily the Jets and the Giants are competing for the number one pick. You can, you can, you can cook them. They are well and truly cooked. I'd argue you can kill the Vikings because they're already three games back in their division. To be fair, the the Packers are cooking. I know Russ is. So they're too, they're but... playing for at best a wild card spot. Yeah, which could happen, but I I don't see it. I don't like any team that's three games back already in the division. Okay. But we can keep them alive another week, and if they lose next week, because the Vikings and the Texans play each other, um, maybe we keep them for another week, and the, the loser of that gets cooked. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so we'll keep them alive another week. The Broncos, I'd kill. Again, well, we're easy, similar. easy. Just put to the side. We don't have to put them down. Good yeah, lord. Well, their playoff hopes are dead. The reason I go with this, not only is just all the injuries, but they've got Kansas City in their division. And Who? the Raiders. Never heard of them. <laughs> the Raiders? The Raiders. I don't know. I think it's a tough tough ask for them to get out, but we can keep them alive. They they might get a win this week and, and stay relevant. I mean, I'm quite happy to cook them because I think that the season's done anyway. And it just right. means... Let's, I, let's, I think, get, let's cook them. And the Falcons, what are we doing with them? I'd keep them alive one more week, but I think they're on the edge of being cooked. They're not on the edge of glory. That's a fact. No. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Scratch them off the list and we'll come back next week with more offerings of teams that won't make the playoffs. And then finally, Murph, we've made it. We've made it to my favorite segment of the pod. It's Murph on the streets. Talk to me, man. I've kind of gone through most of them. There haven't been that many great ones. The only ones I can think of here is Juju Smith-Schuster has three receiving touchdowns for the season. He had three for all of last season, so he's matched that total. Um, The same way that Carson Wentz through seven interceptions last season he is currently up to for the season lost it now that's quite annoying <laughs> i had it there's a, there's a traffic jam on the streets there's a traffic jam it's just these cops keep asking questions uh yeah he's up to six already this season inside three games he threw seven for each of his last two seasons um, and with a rushing TD in the second quarter, David Johnson joined Marcus Allen, Thurman Thomas, Rob, Roger Craig, and Chuck Foreman as the only players in the Super Bowl era with 35-plus rushing touchdowns and 15-plus receiving touchdowns in their first six seasons. You sprinkled them too liberally through the podcast, Murph. That's yeah, what happened. I did. In, in the 2001 divisional round, Tom Brady's fourth-quarter fumble was overturned on the tuck rule play, and the Patriots retained the ball on at the Raiders 42 yard line and in week three 2020 Derek Carr's second quarter fumble whilst attempting to pass was recovered by the Patriots it's a little snazzy little like intertwined between the two teams mm-hmm. 
there you go that's like uh, that's pretty much me and there is a, oh there is a drew Brees. we couldn't go another week without drew Brees breaking another record but this is uh, drew Brees's 94th career game with three plus passing touchdowns breaking a tie with with peyton manning for the most such passing games with three plus passing touchdowns in games in nfl history they didn't stop it though and give him a certificate no i banned that okay nice that's good nice maneuver it was like my it. contribution to 2020. Stop Drew Brees getting paper certificates and book tokens. That thing goes, mate. There's other stuff in 2020 you could have done with stopping before Drew Brees got a certificate. I don't know. I felt it was most important. <laughs> okay. Seeing as the rest of 2020 has sucked, that one's good. I'll let you have it. <laughs> I'm going to finish the uh, Murph on the Streets with a fact from Vic Fangio that has just come out of the Denver Broncos press release and that is starting QB for Thursday is yet to be decided between Driscoll and Rippon he says it's too soon for Blake Bortles so if you own any of those guys in fantasy best of luck to you I don't and on that note (laughs) I don't and good night (laughs) I mean if you do best of luck things have got bad if that's the case hey I started Mike Boone in the league this week because I had no running backs Uh, question about running backs uh, I lost in the Vampire League and I'm happy to accept that with the IR rule but because Bell comes back next week does that mean he then has to drop someone else uh, well he dropped someone on IR so it's fine but if basically yeah, but, well, he's down two IRs in the same position yeah but three week IR wasn't a thing when we set the ruling the NFL was I thought I was going to get the dub this week. I pretty much would have beat everyone else except you in the Vampire League as well. And I picked the person who was rated the lowest and he beat me. And I, uh. did I, did I top score in that without a kicker again? Maybe you beat me, but I've got a team of waiver wire fodder. I don't have a kicker. Kickers are important, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Rush Nation. We would love some reviews on iTunes. No, it's Apple podcast now, isn't it? Or I think you can review us pretty much anywhere now, right? Yeah, but what? the Apple ones, the ones that matter. Spotify doing reviews as well, you know that? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a Spotify charting list. I don't actually know how you get into it. Somebody mentioned it on a podcast I was listening to. But yeah, Apple Podcasts, we would love some reviews on there, Rush Nation. Steal your mothers, steal your nans, steal your brothers. Doesn't matter who it is. Write a little review. Even, you know, we accept criticism. So if you want to get into our feels and let us know what we could do better, that would be fine. But a little five star wouldn't go amiss. That would be great. Thanks very much. Definitely. Murph, this has been a blast, mate. Absolutely love our Monday night slash Tuesday releases. They are a great way to start the week. Football is back. Don't fret if you're in 3 like me and several. I've got a couple of teams which I'm just thinking, how is this in 3 How do I blow this up when it's full of studs? But anyway, we'll get onto that on another podcast. Murph, I will chat to you later on in the week. Rush Nation, as always, don't forget, keep rushing. sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. 
We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 